You guys can come on in. It's okay. I am happy to be back with you. Um, last week when I was home in Charlotte with my parents, my dad had had some pretty um, extensive surgery and Andy sent me a, a picture of what was going on in this room of all of you praying and that made my, my weekend, made my week. So, oop, so that was good to see. The game plan for this Sunday and for next Sunday, and I promise we didn't plan it this way, but I'm actually really excited that it kind of fell the way it did with Holy Week. We're gonna talk about abiding today and just get everyone on the same page with what that looks like. And that's gonna lead us into a conversation and some practice next week about inviting Jesus. If we understand abiding, then we are freed up to really invite Jesus into our most desperate places, our happiest places, and all day long as if he were dwelling with us, which biblically he is. So we're gonna talk about that today. And it's gonna fall you know, when you think about Good Friday is that as we approach that this week, I hope that what we talk about today resonates even deeper in light of that holiday. And then on Easter Sunday, the freedom we have, the, the legal right we have to go to Jesus is pretty profound. So we didn't plan it this way, but I like that I get these two Sundays to do this. So I want to start, um, oh, and I want to tell you too, we're going to, I'm going to reference a lot of scripture, and that's a good thing. I will send it to you. Um, this afternoon or Monday when um, Jeannie's back over the email list. So make sure you're on the email list so you can get everything. I know some of you are great note takers because I see you doing it. If you want to jot it down and look at it, that's fine, but we'll make sure that you get it if you're on that list um, so you can have that. So I want to start talking about this great verse in Deuteronomy 33:12, And it says about Benjamin, he said, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Just think about that for a minute. The one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. What would that look like? What would that feel like? What kind of security and confidence would it give you if you went throughout your day knowing, I'm resting between the shoulders of God, and I'm loved like that? And often we feel far from God, even far from His very being. And so we want to look today at how do we get to that place because you are beloved like Benjamin. If you don't know that you are, you are. You're a child of God. You're chosen. I hope we've made a good case for that in this class when we're walking, about, walking by the Spirit. So let's look at what it truly means to abide today in that place of resting between the shoulders of God. So if you know the Bible at all, you know that the story starts with abiding. Abiding is all in the middle of the Bible and it ends with abiding. And I just want to highlight some of those and you can go back and look at them this week. And I hope you do. So at the beginning, you see God and he is in the garden with Adam and Eve. And what is he doing? He is dwelling with them. He is very present. You see in 1 Kings in the Old Testament, I will dwell with the sons of Israel, and I will not forsake my people. There's that key word we're going to talk about, dwelling. How blessed is the one whom you choose to bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house. That's in Psalm 65, but that kind of idea is all throughout the Psalms. It's very present. And then at the end, some favorite verses in Revelation. Revelation 21.3, Behold, the tabernacle of the Lord is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself is among them. 
And then probably my favorite, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And that is such an amazing truth about God's nature to dwell with us. He's dwelling in that verse. Literally, it means like having supper. He's <coughs> sitting, he's dining. One of my favorite um, quotes, and this is from Luther, when he talks about abiding, he says, it's as if I am having dinner with Jesus and the Trinity are my table companions. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? And we don't actually take that into account throughout most of our day, but we have been given the grace and the freedom and the right to dine with the Trinity in the house. And it's a common grace available to all of us. And if you look at the scriptures from beginning to end, God's heart out of a place of great love is to dwell with us. And it's actually his glory when we choose to do that. And we say, yeah, I wanna dwell with you too. I want to abide. So let's get right the true definition of abiding. And we're gonna talk specifically about this verse in purple if you wanna look it up or write it down. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, Trinity, will come to him and make our Father, Son, Holy Spirit abode with him. So let's talk about that, that first word, um, abode, that's underlined. That literally means a home, a permanent lodging, a dwelling place, an eternal stay. It's where you remain. It's where you reside. And literally, you are under the Trinity's roof. That's a pretty cool um, power and promise available to us. So think about just the interactions, interactions you have with the people that you live with in your house. Most of you have spouses. Most of you have children. You have conversations at the table, right? You're laughing, you're talking about unimportant things, you're crying and everything in between. That's where you do the business in the house with the people. Um, I was just at home and I was with my parents who were going through a pretty traumatic time with some surgeries, but we had these lingering dinner conversations. And it was fun for me because we would go back and talk about things that happened when I was a kid or a teenager or even a college student and to hear my mom's perspective or my dad's perspective, and then for them to hear mine then, and kind of comically now, now that I'm a mom, I have a different perspective on how things played out, and to even hear them say, well, this was what was really going on in our family life at that time, but you were too young. You know, the way parents protect what the, the hardship of what's going on. And so when you, when you think about that, that we could go back and look at things I could get new perspective in my maturity. My parents could share perspective that they, they are now okay to do. If we have this same grace available to us with the Trinity around the table, dining with them, do we actually take advantage of that? Do we actually live in the house with the Trinity and say, do you remember that time way back when? And now I'm an adult and I have a little bit more logic <laughs> and cognitive ability to understand but I remember how I felt back then, and I feel a little bit differently about it now, but then to hear, just like my parents were doing, oh, this was what was really going on in the big picture. I mean, this is what this affords us, this great verse in John 14. Think about when you're in the house, and maybe you're in the house with your spouse, 
and the two of you aren't really communicating about anything important, but you're aware of each other. You're both going about your work. That's a really beautiful thing to be aware of the person you love in the house, even though you're not doing any great business. Yesterday it was beautiful outside in Tennessee. Perfect spring Nashville weather that we had missed greatly being in Texas where it's just not green and not pretty in the springtime. And my, all my kids were outside and they were in the creek and the grass is green. They were aware that Corey and I were in the house. They felt very safe to be out and about with the neighborhood kids and they're having adventures. Literally our youngest son showed up at the front door and he had painted his face with mud. It was like Lord of the Flies out there. I mean, they had the sticks and they were in camouflage and that was fine. They didn't really need us. They were very aware that we were there. But when they found a snake yesterday, about this long under a rock, they bolted to the door, dad, dad. And dad was on the phone, dad, you gotta come see the snake. We have that afforded to us when we really take advantage of abiding. We can live and move and know that the Trinity is with us in our dwelling but man, don't we need the Trinity when the snakes show up, right? You don't even mess around. You need to see a physical presence of the Father dealing with the scary thing that actually wasn't that scary because it wasn't poisonous and they just messed with it for a couple hours. So that, that snake was okay. So when, a, when we abide, we're living and moving and we're going to the Trinity, any of them. We've talked a lot about the Father. We've talked about Jesus, the Holy Spirit when we have needs that cannot be met by anybody else. So when we talk about abiding, when we moved this summer, we traveled for about two months before we made it to Nashville. And we visited grandparents, which my kids probably would have said, yeah, let's live here. I think they would have eventually wanted their house. Grandparents are a good substitute house. We went to Disney World for the first time. I think they very much wanted to live in Disney World, but that's not gonna be a sustainable dwelling for us. And then we were in an apartment for about six months. And while that was a temporary home, it wasn't our dwelling, and here's why. We didn't unpack. We had the, the simple things we needed to live there for six months, but most of our belongings were in storage. And we did not unpack and dwell till we got to our house at the end of January, where we are now. And now everything's unpacked. Things are starting to go up on the wall. It's cozy, it's settled, and that's what abiding with God should feel like. Often I think we treat it like a hotel, right? We go and visit the abiding place a couple times a year like a vacation. We check into abiding kind of like a conference, and we, we get it at a retreat. We think, oh, I'm really abiding with God, and then we get back to normal daily life. Or for a lot of us, abiding looks like making a trip to the ER. You know, when you're sinking really fast. When I, was, when I was home with my dad, there was one night in the middle of the night and his temperature dropped to 94 degrees. He was hypothermic and we rushed to the ER at 2.30 in the morning. And you were serious when you hit the ER at 2.30 in the morning because you go, I need help. We treat abiding like that and we say, yeah, I need help right now. I've got to get to God. The offering though is for all the time unpacked. Let's look at this word make that I underlined. We will come to him and make our home. So the Trinity, what they're offering there in the translation is they want to be authors of this house. They want to build it. They want to make it ready. That translation actually means they want to prepare you in the house and shoot you forth 
ordain you and appoint. We kind of flip that in Christian world, don't we? Someone comes to know the Lord, they get saved, and it becomes, okay, now what am I gonna do for God? I'm ready to go serve, I'm ready to go do this. And often what happens, they kind of flounder, and they go numb, and they kind of check out. If we actually said, I want to be about this verse, and I want my home and my dwelling to be with the Trinity, and I'm gonna live in it in such a posture, I'm going to let them make this house. We wanna make it. We wanna design it and write the Trinity. They're saying they wanna make it. They want to author it. They want to ordain you from that place to go do the things that you wanna do. That word with, make our abode with him. That literally means right beside. It means as they move, you move. We're moving about with the Trinity, and it's not just in theory, it's an actual thing of being connected. That word, we will come to him, that translation means to make one's appearance, to show, to become known. So here's what I take from all those underlined words. If you are abiding with the Trinity, you are not gonna guess if you are or aren't. Because that word come is to show up, to make one's appearance, to become known. There's no guessing if you're doing it. And they're going to author this house, and it's a house where the invitation is you get to unpack. You get to live there all the time. There's no guessing. You are settled. You don't run to it like a retreat (coughs) conference hotel or a vacation in Hawaii. Those are all good things. You don't run to it in the middle of the night when you're sick. You actually live here. So let's talk about how do we do that? How do we abide? There's this great verse in Psalm 15, and there was a summer in my house in Texas where I had it up on big butcher paper in our kitchen. And then my kids kind of drew what they thought meant. Because as a mom, it's really important to me that my kids know how to abide. If they know how to do that, they're gonna be okay. So we had this verse up from the littlest kid all the way to the biggest. And it's a beautiful psalm, and it's asking, Lord, who can abide in your tent? Who can dwell on your holy hill? And then there's a list, one who walks with integrity, one who works righteousness, speaks truth in their heart, doesn't slander, doesn't do evil, doesn't take up a reproach against a friend. And when you get right about there, or maybe before you go, well, I'm out. I can't, I can't do that. I've already missed two or three. And it was really fun to me, it's not fun. Well, it actually was fun, but that probably means I'm a little twisted. For my kids to see, yeah, I can't do that because we can't. We can get better at it. We should be getting better at it the more mature we are in our Christian life, but we're gonna mess this up. And if this is the the prerequisite to abiding, we're gonna feel like failures and on the B team most of the time. But God knows this. He knows that we will not get through our whole life checking those lists off. I've, I've walked with integrity every single moment of my life. It's too hard. He knows this. There's this really beautiful set of verses, in my opinion, in Joshua 20. And it starts about verse 4. And this is where God establishes cities of refuge. If you haven't read this chapter in a while, you should go back and look at it. It's beautiful. And it shows his heart has always been to establish a safe place to dwell, even when we screw it up. And this, this law, this city of refuge, it was actually designed for a pretty big screw up. It was designed for people who accidentally kill another person. That's a big deal in my book. That's not just 
you know, maybe doing um, some unrighteousness or maybe slipping up on walking in integrity. This was for people who actually took another person's life. It wasn't premeditated. It was somehow an accident. And God tells Joshua to set up these cities of refuge so that the avenger, who's after blood, because remember we talked about debts. There are debts. They have to be paid. There are debts that are owed. And God says, this person who did not premeditate this can go to this city of refuge, find shelter against the avenger, and the elders at the gate will let him into the city and he can dwell, that word is in there again, dwell there securely until he can stand trial. And the criminal states his case and the elders let him in. I find that so beautiful and so fascinating because <coughs> we can relate to that criminal, can't we? I mean, I hope no one accidentally killed anybody this morning in this class, but I'm sure there are mornings where you wake up and you do your morning routine and you're going to school or you're taking care of the kids or going to work, and none of us get up and say, okay, I'm gonna have my coffee, I'm gonna have my breakfast, then I think I'm gonna slander two people today. I'm gonna plan that out. We don't, we shouldn't at this point, looking at this room, be premeditating unrighteous acts but we stumble into them, right? How easy is it to stumble into gossip or slander or just taking our mark of integrity and just bumping it down here? Most of us don't set out to do that on purpose, but we find ourselves in that place. And God says, I so badly want to dwell with you out of great love. You have a city of refuge in the Trinity right there. I want you to come here to dwell and to abide and guess what you're never going to stand trial because jesus already did you don't have to sit in the city like the criminal and await trial because his blood already took care of it for you what a great beautiful promise for a city of refuge that is actually the house of the lord in joshua joshua's time it was actually a city Jesus made it so we can get there quickly, anytime we want, and your trial's already been done, the debt's been paid, maybe you haven't killed someone, but you've done a whole lot of stuff, especially when you line it up against Psalm 15. Even if you've lived a really righteous life, if you read that, you go, I've got nothing. I cannot abide on the holy hill. I need, I need refuge. And that truth, that very truth, should compel us and cause us to keep his word and in greater measure go after him. Some people look at that verse, and I've looked at it lots of different ways <laughs> in my lifetime, and you go, okay, what's the cause and effect there? What's the before and after? Knowing that we have refuge in the Father, in the Trinity, that the Trinity will come and make our abode with him should cause us to want to keep his word, not out of worry that the Trinity is some sort of warden, or prison chief, or principal that's gonna put you in, in school suspension, it should cause us to keep his word because that's our refuge, that's our safest place. We're gonna obey and do that out of great love, not out of some constraint. We love him because he first loved us. We abide because we keep his word, we guard it, we observe it, it's our treasure. Because this promise in John 14 denotes habitation. And this habitation is not like men. 
God is not like men. He's not wayfaring. He doesn't leave. He doesn't change his mind. This is a constant dwelling that should compel us to unpack, to get settled, to put pictures on the wall and say, I am never, ever leaving this home. And so there's a choice when we look at this verse, this promise of abiding. Choice number one is, and I, I have encountered a lot of people who choose this choice, and I will say that to the best of my knowledge, they're going to be with Jesus on the other side. You can receive Christ as Savior, and it's done, biblically. You can say, okay, Jesus says, come follow me, and I say, yes, I did it. I've received him as Savior. I've got my ticket to heaven, and I'm going to try to live the best life I can and go to church and not use cuss words, and I'm going to do the things I think that I'm required with come follow me. Most of those people at some point end up with a distance with God. That's a hard thing to do without abiding. There, maybe they do all the right things, but there's this secret disappointment that surely there has got to be more. And they try to remember the day when they had that salvation experience and what their first love felt like. And as they get older and older and further and further in the Christian life, it just feels kind of dim. And they'll hold on to it and they'll go to their grave and the other side still in that truth, but it feels like a lot of work to keep it there. It feels like striving. Or the flip side, you can look at the Trinity and receive the truth that the Trinity, the Trinity wants to dwell with a loving and obedient soul and it causes us to choose obedience. And then there's this beautiful law, if you read lots of church history or theology, there's this law of close intimacy that leads to higher love. And that close intimacy exists because God knows that we'll mess up, He knows we'll miss it, He knows that we can't bear lasting fruit without Him. Go look at the, the vine and the branches, that's very much tied to abiding. And so there's a decision of the heart that leads to close intimacy, and all it is is submitting that I have got to live here and every other place really pales in comparison. And so if you think, well, I don't know if I want to do that, which is a, a, a really valid response. I've seen that response a lot with people. No, I think I'll just take the distant way from Jesus, live maybe down the street from the dwelling place. And so I think it's important to ask, and I hope you do this morning, why would you want to live away from him? There's this slight change in the New Testament that goes from come follow me to come abide in me. Do you see there's closer intimacy there? There's a greater intimacy with come abide with me. This is how you rest between the shoulders of God in that abiding place. This is the place where the Lord, and just step back for a minute and think about the Lord. It'll make you celebrate Easter even more this week. The Lord condescends himself low to live in our mess. And he takes the dirt. It's like, think of where he came and where he ended up to live with us. And he chooses to live in our messy little cottages. And he cleans them up because remember, the Trinity is making their abode. They're authoring this new place with you. And for some of us, that makes us a little uncomfortable. That's a little too much intimacy, especially for people who maybe weren't shown a healthy demonstration of that. It's like, whoa, God, that's a little too close for comfort. I think I just like living in your neighborhood, down the street, or maybe across the interstate. I'm in the camp, but I don't know if I want to be that close. 
It's a place of submitting and abiding to say, yes, I have got to live under your roof, God. I, I hear you knocking. I want you to come in. And my obedience is going to be a response, not out of warden-like fear, but out of great love that I recognize what you did to come live with me. And so I want to offer to you this morning, there's a stepwise degree to getting the full manifestation of Christ in abiding. And I know manifestation makes everybody bristle, but don't you want that definition of we will come to him? Don't you want to know that you know that you know that the Trinity has showed up in your house? I do. I've experienced it. I, I'm still hungering for more. I want to live like that all the time. I do a decent job, but I have not arrived there. I want to walk around with that reality being more real than anything that I see. Because imagine what will happen if, if we choose that, if we go after that, if we submit to that. So here's this stepwise kind of successive degrees to getting that close intimacy. Number one, and it is not glamorous, is the practical observance of the commands. And I want to talk about this a little differently because we looked at Psalm 15 and we get to maybe number two or three on that list of how to abide. And we go, we can't do that. I've already messed it up this morning. I already had a bad thought about someone. I already gossiped with someone in the hallway at church. You know, I messed it up. How do we do this? Um, my oldest, uh, my two oldest kids in middle school, at their school they did a night um, about responsible use of technology. And Corey attended it and was telling me about it. And he, when he was telling me about what was talked about, this, this one line, just landed in our heart and we thought, yes, that's where it's at. Because in this technology kind of round table for parents, they were talking about how easy it is for eighth graders, seventh graders, sixth graders to stumble onto pornography. The chances of them not seeing it are actually pretty slim. If you just look at the succession of what they're gonna be doing in school, because you could click on a child's site that looks pretty normal and there's this little thing on the side. I mean, the enemy is so crafty with this in particular. And whoever was leading the technology symposium or whatever it was called said, they're gonna mess up, but if a partnership in love exists, there's grace to fix it and heal and move on. This is how we observe the commands. This is how we do Psalm 15. We're gonna mess up, but there's a partnership in love that exist. So when we mess up, we don't seek refuge in some foreign land and try to distance ourselves from God until we figure it out. We run to the dwelling place and say, I messed up. I have to take refuge here. I know I cannot stand trial on my own good works. Jesus, I am appropriating what you've already done that gives me access to this house. And you'll be received because it's a partnership in love. It's not a partnership based on what you do or don't do. It's God's great merciful love. Number two, this successive degree, when you start to work like that in abiding, there is a special sense of the Father's love that should just increase and increase. And we've talked a lot about the Father's love in this the class so far. Your heartbeat, your heartbeat that cries, Abba, Father, it should also cry, He only, only the Father. Only the Father offers this, only the goodness of the Father. And it should be a quicker sense of that love in your heart that follows that partnership in love that exists when we mess up. 
you tend to enjoy it in a higher manner. We talked at the beginning of this class this spring about drawing near. We have to submit and choose to get near because the promise is that the Father draws near. This is the second step. We draw near and we plant our feet and we dwell. There's like 35 verses at least about drawing near. I can't even count how many times the Lord talks about dwelling. The beginning, the middle, the end. It is his heart for us to plant our feet there. And we, when we submit and say, yes, I am choosing not to move from this house, your heart's cry is going to go, God only, only you, nothing else. Nobody gives me refuge like that. Nobody loves me like that. It's a manifestation of his love, and that could look a billion different ways, but you'll know it when you know it. It's your heart's cry. You'll sense it. It'll be the driving thing when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. It's communion, really. You see his beauty. You see his grace. And here's what's cool about this cause and effect verse, and really the whole chapter, John 14, number three. The love of the Son follows from the special love of the Father and then the Spirit. And you see this weaving in in John 14 of communing with the Trinity. And the way that Jesus communes with the Father, if you really look at those verses, and we were talking about this before any of y'all arrived this morning, that is offered to us. The way Jesus talked to the Father and the Father talked to Jesus, that's for us in abiding. And we are supposed to live and move like that. Number four, the surest evidence of our love of God is not how gifted you are, not how much you serve or what you do, not how nice you are, not how high up you are in the chain of command, but it's obedience. Having Christ's commands and keeping them, not knowing them, not being able to regurgitate them on a test, but it's obedience. That denotes sweeping love for Christ. And man, that is not glamorous, and it wouldn't be very popular at a youth retreat to tell a bunch of kids. It's about obedience, guys, but it is. But it is really hard to be obedient if you don't have that foundation that we've talked about of partnership with God. It, it looks really like striving, and it's very disappointing. But if you're partners, obedience is just a natural product of that. And then number five, Love becomes the commanding, and get this, important word, constraining principle. And we as people, we bristle at constraint. We don't like it. I will tell you that there is great freedom in being constrained with the love of God. We, we like to go our own way and choose our own thing. I'm going to give you an example because this example works for me. You may have some in your own life. If you've ever had knee problems, knee injuries, and I have had my share for a while you wear a brace, right? And what that brace does, it just gets everything back in line. It gets all the tendons to get right. In my own heart, I bristle at having to put the dumb knee brace on. I hate it. I really do, I'm just confessing. I feel like, oh, means things aren't going right. But what the brace does, it warms things up. It provides support. I can actually move more free with the brace on. The love of God in this abiding place is a constraining kind of love where you can leap, you can jump, you can run, and do things that you cannot do when you're broken and out of his constraining love. It's actually a good thing. It's a healing thing. It makes things lined up right. I am safer and I can do more that way. So there's an abiding, there's a promise, 
And the question that I just want us to ask for a moment before I tell you where we're going next week is where do you live right now? And I actually want you to do business with that. I'm gonna do it at the same time. If you will, for a second, just close your eyes so you're not distracted by the people next to you. And before a good God who says, when you draw near, he draws near right back to you. And a good God who three in one says, come live and dwell with me. I just want you to take account of your heart <coughs> and look at where do I live right now? God, will you show me where I'm living? Do I actually live in your dwelling place? Do I live and move and work in that place? Is my heart secure? Am I constrained from this great love with this great love that I can live in your house? God, will you show me where I actually live? And just give his spirit a moment to tell you the truth about where you've been living. And before God right now, really look at, am I comfortable dining at the table with the Trinity as my table companions? Am I comfortable talking with them, receiving from them? Do I know how to respond to the Spirit because I'm so intimately involved in the house? For some of you, I know that your heart's desire is to be in the house, but you've always felt kind of like you're in the, the alleyway next to it. Maybe for lots of reasons, things that we've talked about, wounding and sin. Maybe you're more comfortable hanging out in the, in the, with the trash cans in the back side of the house. But the promise and the grace is you're actually invited in. And they'll make the house clean. They'll, they'll author the house for you. And maybe today you just choose to say, you know what, I'm stepping in. And it's okay if it's the first time, and it's okay if you've been in church your whole life, but you've been in the alleyway. You can choose to step in. And you can go confidently into the house because Scripture says only the rebellious dwell in a parched <coughs> land. If your land has felt parched and you fear God at all, say, no, I, I don't want to be rebellious anymore. I need to be in the house. I don't have a rebellious heart. I just have not understood that this was for me. And you can choose to step right on in to the house to dwell with God. If you can't quite get there this morning, it's okay. You can ask the Lord in a place of desperation, and I know it's a scary place. God, will you just show me what it looks like, feels like, to, to dwell with you?
kind of like moving into a new house. It's uncomfortable the first nights there. It doesn't feel like yours. It's foreign. But this is what God affords you. And so just tell the Lord, I, I want to dwell like that. I want to abide and take every right that's been given to me. I want to find refuge here. open your eyes for a second. I know that the thought of abiding for some of you is like, yay, I've, I've really wanted to my whole life. And I know that for some others, it's, it's a really scary thought. And that intimacy, intimacy thing can be really hard. And I get that. And that's okay. When we lived in Texas, so it doesn't rain. We've, had, we've seen more rain since we moved to Nashville than we have in years. <coughs> I, there have been years we lived there where it rained maybe three times and we were in a drought because we were pretty close to Mexico where we were in San Antonio. And when it would rain in Texas, it would rain really hard often. And Texas, where we were, would flood because the ground had been so dry, it couldn't take the water in. It's, it's like it rolled right off and people were canoeing to work and it was, looked like chaos because the, the ground couldn't hold the water. If your heart's cry this morning is, God, I really need to live in that house, you don't have to worry about the rainwater washing you away down the interstate. God is so gracious and gentle. It's going to look like a shower, enough to get the dry ground watered again. People fear that if I want to abide with God, it's going to be this thing that I can't handle. He will lead you into the house. He will water the dry ground in such a gracious manner that you can handle it and you can receive what he has, and he'll keep watering, and it's gonna look much like Nashville does right now. So green, so beautiful. You should, you should, if nothing else, thank God today that you get to see this, because there are parts of the country that don't, and it's gorgeous. Everything's in bloom, and it's in this successive kind of nature that the grass turns green, and one tree starts to get green, and another tree starts to flower. That's what abiding looks like. He will give you what you can handle, and some of you are nodding because you know that to be true. He's not going to just lay you out to where you can't handle abiding. He wants you to live and move and walk in that place, and it's a precious place. I want to give you just a hint at where we're going with this next week. I'm going to send you just a ton of verses so you can be in the Word all week and just remind your heart what's true. Verses about Jesus never leaving or forsaking you. Verses about the Lord is with you wherever you go. Do not be discouraged. He will not fail or forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you even in the valley of the shadow of death. You see how all of those, it's all over the Bible. He wants to dwell that is what we were made for. And so when we talk about in this class, walking by the Spirit, we have to be here because when we try to boot things out, like we've talked about forgiveness, releasing lies, breaking entanglements, confessing, repenting sin, renouncing lies, all these things that we do in prayer before God that we've touched on, you cannot forgive someone who's done just traumatic, awful things to you unless you do it from here. And I don't have any qualms about telling you that because I've done this for a long time. You could speak the words, 
but it will not have a heart transformation unless, unless you encounter the Trinity on some level and you get their perspective. How many times have you prayed, okay, God, I forgive them, and then you're praying it again and again and again because it was just lip service. I hope now that's done because we've talked about forgiveness from the heart and you know the steps that you're going to have to take, but you're doing all of that before Jesus. You're saying to Jesus, look, I've invited you into this place where I got wrecked and I'm giving you this, this debt and I'm canceling it because I can't carry it. I've got to give it to you. That's from an abiding place. You can't release lies. I, I did a prayer time recently where this sweet woman had about eight very specific lies that she recognized that she was believing about herself. And then we did a second column because there were so many, we actually wrote it out. Second column of, I believe this about myself and therefore God, I believe this about you. Lies, lies, eight of them. She's young, too young to have that kind of column. She cannot release the lies, renounce the lies, break agreements, unless she does it from here. And we tried for a long time to do it, and then it dawned on me, because sometimes even after doing this, I'm still slow. I was like, do you, can you even live here? No, I, I live far away, because I feel like I have missed it so bad, and, and I, I should have known better. I can't even imagine getting here. And so we went back, and we talked about, you can draw near. Jesus has made it so you can. And as soon as she did that, she began to understand how this even got here, quick. And she was from the beginning going, I can't hear God, I can't see God, I don't know what's going on. And when we just said, God, will you show us? Because now we've been reminded that this is what you have for your daughter, your son. She was able to do this because now it's not just cognitive, it's not just in her head. She is meeting with the Trinity at the table and they are sitting on the same side as her saying, yeah, we got this. That's why it's so important to abide. We could give all of this lip service, but if we don't invite Jesus, invite the Father, we're not going to get anywhere. And so on Easter Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to talk about inviting him because his cross says that we can and we should. And I, I don't think you can get through life right now without doing that. And so it's going to be fun. And you're going to just go from here to church service going, yeah, I've encountered the Lord. <laughs> and that's what we were made to do. And so that's a little plug I'll give you and where we're going next week. I love you guys. Thanks for being here and thanks for being brave in this.